Section two of Sam Lawson's Old Town Fireside Stories by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Section two The Sullivan Looking Glass. Aunt Lois, said I, what was that story about Ruth Sullivan? Aunt Lois's quick black eyes gave a surprised flash, and she and my grandmother looked at each other a minute significantly. "'Who told you a thing about Ruth Sullivan?' she said sharply. "'Nobody. Somebody said you knew something about her,' said I. I was holding a skein of yarn for Aunt Lois, and she went on winding in silence, putting the ball through loops and tangled places. "'Little boys shouldn't ask questions,' she concluded at last, sententiously. "'Little boys that ask too many questions get sent to bed.' I knew that of old, and rather wondered at my own hardihood. Aunt Lois wound on in silence, but, looking in her face, I could see plainly that I had started an exciting topic. "'I should think,' pursued my grandmother in her corner, "'that Ruth's case might show you, Lois, that a good many things may happen, more than you believe.' oh well mother ruth's was a strange case but i suppose there are ways of accounting for it you believed ruth didn't you oh certainly i believed ruth why shouldn't i ruth was one of my best friends and as true a girl as lives there wasn't any nonsense about ruth she was one of the sort said aunt lois reflectively that i'd as soon trust as myself when she said a thing was so and so i knew it was so then if you think ruth's story was true pursued my grandmother what's the reason you are always cavailing at things just cause you can't understand how they came to be so aunt lois set her lips firmly and wound with grim resolve she was the very impersonation of that obstinate rationalism that grew up at the new england fireside close alongside of the most undoubting faith in the supernatural i don't believe such things at last she snapped out and i don't disbelieve them i just let them alone what do i know about em ruth tells me a story and i believe her i know what she saw beforehand came true in the most remarkable way well i'm sure i've no objection one thing may be true or another for all me but just because i believe ruth sullivan i'm not going to believe right and left all the stories in cotton mather and all that anybody can hawk up to tell not i this whole conversation made me all the more curious to get at the story thus dimly indicated and so we beset sam for information so your aunt lois wouldn't tell you nothing said sam want to know now show no she said we must go to bed if we ask her that thar's the way folks has but you see boys said sam while a droll confidential expression crossed the lacklustre dolefulness of his visage you see i put ye up to it cause miss lois is so large and commandin in her ways and so kind up and down in all her doings that i like once in a while to sort of gravel her and i knowed enough to know that that our question would get her in the tight place you see your aunt lois was knowing to all this year about ruth so there weren't no getting away from it and it's about as remarkable a providence as any of them of mr cotton martha's magnilly so if you'll come up in the barn chamber this afternoon where i've got a lot of flax to hatchel out i'll tell you all about it 
so that afternoon beheld sam arranged at full length on a pile of top toe in the barn chamber hatcheling by proxy by putting harry and myself to the service well now boys it's kind of refreshing to see how well you take hold he observed nothing like being industrious while you're young great sight better now than loafing off down in them meadows in books and work and useful play let my first years be past so shall i give for every day some good account at last but sam if we work for you you must tell us that story about ruth sullivan lordy massy yes course i will i've had the best kind of chances of knowing all about that ire well you see there was old general sullivan he lived in state and grandeur in the old sullivan house out to roxbury i've been to roxbury i've seen that ere house of general sullivan's there was one time that i was a considerable spell looking round in roxbury a kind of seeing how things was there and whether or no there mightn't be some sort of providential opening or something i used to stay with aunt polly ginger she was sister to my headable ginger general sullivan's housekeeper and had the in and out of the sullivan house and kind of kept the run of how things went and came in it polly she was a kind of cousin of my mother's and allers glad to see me fact is i was pretty handy round house and she used to save up her broken things and such till i come round in the fall and then i'd mend em up and put the clock right and split her up a lot of kindlings and board up the cellar winders and kind of make her sort of comfortable she being a lone body and no man around as i said it was sort of convenient to have me and so i just got the run of things in the sullivan house pretty much as if i was one on em general sullivan he kept a grand house i tell you you see he come from the old country and felt sort of lordly and grand and they used to have the greatest kind of doings there to the sullivan house you ought to have seen that air house great big front hall and great wide stairs none of your steep kind that breaks the feller's neck to get up and down but great broad stairs with easy risers so they used to say you could a cantered a pony up that er stairway easy as not then there was great wide rooms and sofies and curtains and great curtained bedsteads that looked sort of like fortifications and pictures that was got in italy and rome and all them our heathen places you see the general was a dreadful worldly old critter and was all for the pomps and the vanities lordy massy i wonder what the poor old critter thinks about it all now when his body's all gone to dust and ashes in the graveyard and his soul's gone to eternity well that there ain't none of my business only it shows the vanity or riches in a kind of striking light and makes me content that i never had none but sam i hope general sullivan wasn't a wicked man was he well i wouldn't say he was rarely wickeder than the run but he was one of these er high stepping big feeling fellers that seemed to be a having their portion in this life dreadful proud he was and he was pretty much sot on this world and kept a sort of court going on around him well i don't judge him nor nobody folks that has the world is apt to get sot on it don't none of us do more than middlin well 
but sam what about ruth sullivan ruth oh yes ruth well you see the only crook in the old general's lot was he didn't have no children miss sullivan she was a beautiful woman as handsome as a picture but she never had but one child and he was a son who died when he was a baby and bout broke her heart and then this here ruth was her sister's child that was born about the same time and when the boy died they took ruth home to sort of fill his place and kind of comfort up miss sullivan and then ruth's father and mother died and they adopted her for their own and brought her up well she grew up to be amazing handsome why everybody said that she was just the light and glory of that there old sullivan place and worth more than all the pictures and the silver and the jewels and all there was in the house and she was just so innocent and sweet that you never see nothing to beat it well your aunt lois she got acquainted with ruth one summer when she was up to old town a visiting at parson lothrop's your aunt lois was a gal then and a pretty good-looking one too and somehow or other she took to ruth and ruth took to her and when ruth went home they used to be a writin backwards and forwards and i guess the fact was ruth thought about as much of your aunt lois as she did of anybody you see your aunt was kind of strong up and down woman that always knew certain just what she did know and ruth she was one of them gals that seemed sort of like a stray lamb or a dove that sort of lost their way in the world and wants someone to show em where to go next for you see the fact was the old general and madam they didn't agree very well he wasn't well pleased that she didn't have no children and she was sort of jealous of him cause she got hold of some sort of story about he was to a married somebody else over there in england so she got sort of riled up just as women will the best on em and they was pretty apt to have spats and one could give to other as good as they sent and by all accounts they fit pretty lively sometimes and between the two ruth she was sort of scared and fluttered like a dove that didn't just know where to settle you see there she was in that er great white house where they was a feastin and a prancin and a dancin and a goin on like hosherus and herodias and all them old scripture days there was a comin and goin and there was great dinners and great doins but no love and you know the scripture says better is a dinner of yerbs where love is than a stalled ox and hated therewith well i don't order say hatred after all i kind of reckon the old general did the best he could the fact is when a woman gets a kink in her head again a man the best honest don't always do just the right thing anyway ruth she was sort of forlorn and didn't seem to take no comfort in the goings-on the general he was mighty fine on her and proud on her and there weren't nothing too good for ruth he was free-handed the general was he dressed her up in silks and satins and she had a maid to wait on her and she had sets of pearls and diamond and madam sullivan she thought all the world on her and kind of worshipped the ground she'd tried on and yet ruth was sort of lonesome you see ruth wasn't calculated for grandeur some folks ain't why that 
er summer she spent out to old town she was just as chick and chipper as a wren a wearin her little sun bunnet and goin a hackleberry and a blackberryin and diggin sweet flag and gettin cowslips and dandelions and she had a word for everybody and everybody liked ruth and wished her well well she was sent for her health and she got that and more too she got a sweetheart you see there was a captain oliver a visitin at the minister's that summer a nice handsome young man as ever was he and ruth and your aunt lois they was together a good deal and they was a ramblin and a ridin and a sailin and so ruth and the captain went away all the earth and fell dead in love with each other your aunt lois she was knowing to it and all about it cause ruth she was just one of them that couldn't take a step without somebody to talk to captain oliver was of a good family in england and so when he made bold to ask the old general for ruth he didn't say him nay and it was agreed as they was young they should wait a year or two if he and she was of the same mind he should be free to marry her just right on that the captain's regiment was ordered home and he had to go and the next they heard it was sent off to india and poor little ruth she kind of drooped and pined but she kept true and wouldn't have nothing to say to nobody that came arter her for there was lots and cords of fellas as did come arter her you see ruth had a taken way with her and then she had the name of being a great heiress and that allers draws fellers as molasses does flies well then the news came that captain oliver was coming home to england and the ship was took by the algerines and he was gone into slavery there among them heathen mohammedans and what not folks seemed to think it was all over with him and ruth might just as well give up first as last and the old general he'd come to think she might do better and he kept introducing one and another and trying to marry her off but ruth she wouldn't she used to write sheets and sheets to your aunt lois about it and i think aunt lois she kept her grit up your aunt lois she'd have stuck by a man to the end of time if it'd been her case and so she told ruth well then there was young jeff sullivan the general's nephew he turned up and the general he took a great fancy to him he was the next heir to the general but he'd been a pretty rackety youngster in his young days off to sea and what not and sowed a considerable crop of wild oats people said he'd been a piratin off there in south america lordy massy nobody rightly knew where he'd a been or where he hadn't all was he turned up at last all alive and chipper as a skunk blackbird well of course he made his court to ruth and the general he rather backed him up in it but ruth said she wouldn't have nothing to say to him well he come and took up his lodging at the general's and he was just as slippery as an eel and sort of slid into everything that was going on in the house and about it he was here and he was there and he was everywhere and a having his say about this and that and he got everybody pretty much under his thumb and they used to say he wound the general round and round like a skein of yarn but he couldn't come it round ruth well the general said she shouldn't be forced 
and jeff he was smooth as satin and said he'd be willing to wait as long as jacob did for rachel and so there he sot down a watchin as patient as a cat at a mouse hole cause the general he was thick-set and short-necked and drank pretty free and was one of the sort that might pop off any time well miss sullivan she beset the general to make a provision for ruth cause she told him very sensible that he'd brought her up in luxury and that it weren't fair not to settle something on her and so the general he said he'd make a will and part the property equally between them and he says to jeff that if he played his part as a young feller arter know how it would all come to him in the end cause he hadn't heard nothing from captain oliver for three or four years and folks about settled it that he must be dead well the general he got a letter about an estate that had come to him from england and he had to go over well living on the next estate was the very cousin of the generals that he was to a married when they was both young the lands joined so that the grounds run together what came between them two nobody knows but she never married and there she was there was high words between the general and madam sullivan about his going over she said there weren't no sort of need on it and he said there was and she said she hoped she would be in her grave afore he come back and he said she might suit herself about that for all him that there was a story that the housekeeper told aunt polly and aunt polly she told me these her squabbles somehow always does kind of leak out one way or t'other anyhow it was a house divided again itself at the general's when he was a fixin out for the voyage there was ruth a-goin' first to one and then to t'other and tryin' all she could to keep peace between them and there was this ere master slick tongue talkin' this way to one side and that way to t'other and the old general kind of like a shuttlecock atween em well then the night before he sailed the general he had his lawyer up in the library there a-looking over all his papers and bonds and things and a-witnessing his will and master jeff was there as lively as a cricket a-going into all affairs and offering to take precious good care while he was gone and the general he had his papers and letters out a-sortin on em over which was to be took to the old country and to which was to be put in a trust and go back to lawyer dennis's office well abner ginger polly's boy he that was footman and waiter then at the general's he told me that about eight o'clock that evening he went up with hot water and lemons and spirits and such and he see the great green table in the library all strewed and covered with piles of papers and there was tin boxes a-standin round and the general a-packin a trunk and young master jeff as lively and helpful as a rat that smells cheese and then the general he says abner says he can you write your name i should hope so general says abner well then abner says he this is my last will and i want you to witness it and so abner he put down his name opposite to the place with the wafer and the seal and then the general he says abner you tell ginger to come here that you see was his housekeeper my aunt polly's sister and a likely woman as ever was and so they had her up and she put down her name to the will and then aunt polly she was had up she was drinking tea there that night she put down her name 
and all of em did it with good heart cause it had got about among em that the will was to provide for miss ruth for everybody loved ruth you see and there was considerable many stories kind of goin the rounds about master jeff and his doings and they did say he sort of kept up the strife between the general and my lady and so they didn't think none too well of him and as he was next to kin and miss ruth want none of the general's blood you see she was miss sullivan's sister's child of course there wouldn't nothing go to miss ruth in the way of law and so that was why the signing of that er will was so much talked about among em well you see the general he sailed the next day and jeff he stayed by to keep watch of things well the old general he got over safe from miss sullivan she had a letter from him all right when he got away his conscience sort of nagged him and he was minded to be a good husband at any rate he wrote a good loving letter to her and sent his love to ruth and sent over lots of little keepsakes and things for her and told her that he left her under good protection and wanted her to try and make up her mind to marry jeff as that would keep the property together well now there couldn't be no sort of sugar sweeter than jeff was to them lone women jeff was one of the sort that could be all things to all women he waited and he tended and he was as humble as any snake in the grass that ever ye see and the old lady she clean fell in with him but ruth she seemed to have a regular spite agin him and she that were as gentle as a lamb that never had so much as a hard thought of a mortal critter and wouldn't tread on a worm she was so set again jeff that she wouldn't so much as touch his hand when she got out of her carriage well now comes the strange part of my story ruth was one of the kind that has the gift of seeing she was born with the veil over her face this mysterious piece of physiological information about ruth was given with a look and air that announced something very profound and awful and we both took up the inquiry born with a veil over her face how should that make her see well boys how should i know but the fact is so there's those as is well known to has the gift of seeing what others can't see they can see through walls and houses they can see people's hearts they can see what's to come they don't know nothing how it is but this here knowledge comes to em it's a great gift and that sort's born with the veil over their faces ruth was one of these ere old granny badger she was the knowingest old nurse in all these parts and she was with ruth's mother when she was born and she told lady lothrop all about it she says you may depend upon it that child'll have the second sight says she oh that thar fact was well known well that was the reason why jeff sullivan couldn't come at round ruth though he was silkier than a milkweed pod and just about as patient as a spider in his hole a-watchin to get his grip on a fly ruth wouldn't argue with him and she wouldn't flout him but she just shut herself up in herself and kept a lookout on him but she told your aunt lois just what she thought about him well in about six months come the news that the general was dead he dropped right down in his tracks dead with apoplexy as if he had been shot and lady maxwell she write a long letter to my lady and ruth 
you see he'd got to be sir thomas sullivan over there and he was a-coming home to take em all over to england to live in grandeur well my lady sullivan she was then you see she took it dreadful hard if they'd a been the lovingest couple in the world she couldn't a took it harder aunt polly she said it was all cause she thought so much of him that she fit him so there's women that think so much of their husbands that they won't let em have no peace of their life and i expect it was so with her poor soul anyway she went right down to smack when she heard he was dead she was a bed sick when the news come and she never spoke nor smiled just turned her back to everybody and kind of wilted and wilted and was dead in a week and there was poor little ruth left all alone in the world with neither kith nor kin but jeff well when the funeral was over and the time appointed to read the will and settle up matters there weren't no will to be found nowhere high nor low lawyer dean he flew round like a parched pea on a shovel he said he thought he could have gone in the darkest night and put his hand on that there will but when he went where he thought it was he found it weren't there and he knowed he'd kept it under lock and key what he thought was the will turned out to be an old mortgage well there was an awful row and a to-do about it you may be sure ruth she just said nothing good or bad and her not speaking made Jeff a sight more uncomfortable than if she'd a had it out with him. He told her it shouldn't make no sort of difference, that he should always stand ready to give her all he had, if she'd only take him with it. And when it came to that, she only gave him a look and went out of the room. Jeff, he flared and flounced and talked, and went round and round and rumpusing among the papers, but no will was forthcoming, high or low well now here comes what's remarkable ruth she told this year all the particulars to your aunt lois and lady lothrop she said that the night after the funeral she went up to her chamber ruth had the great front chamber opposite to miss sullivan's i've been in it it was a monstrous big room with outlandish furniture in it that the general brought over from an old palace out of italy and there was a great big looking-glass over the dressing-table that they said come from venice that swung so you could see the whole room in it well she was a stand in front of this just going to undress herself a hearing the rain drip on the leaves and the wind wishing and whispering in the old elm trees and just a thinking over her lot and what she should do now all alone in the world when of a sudden she felt a kind of lightness in her head and she thought she seemed to see somebody in the glass a-moving and she looked behind and there weren't nobody there then she looked forward in the glass and she saw a strange big room that she'd never seen before with a long painted window in it and alongside of this stood a tall cabinet with a good many drawers in it and she saw herself and she knew that it was herself in this room along with another woman whose back was turned towards her she saw herself speak to this woman and point to the cabinet she saw the woman nod her head she saw herself go to the cabinet and open the middle drawer and take out a bundle of papers from the very back end on it she saw her take out a paper from the middle and open it and hold it up and she knew that that was the missing will well it all overcome her so that she fainted clean away 
and her maid found her a lying front of the dressing table on the floor she was sick of a fever for a week or a fortnight at her and your aunt lois she was down taking care of her and as soon as she got able to be moved she was took out to lady lothrop's jeff he was just as attentive and good as he could be but she wouldn't bear him near her room if he so much as set a foot on the stairs that led to it she'd know it and got so wild that he had to be kept from coming into the front of the house but he was doing his best to buy up good words from everybody he paid all the servants double he kept every one in their places and did so well by em all that the general word among em was that miss ruth couldn't do better than to marry such a nice open-handed gentleman well lady lothrop she wrote to lady maxwell all that had happened and lady maxwell she sent over to ruth to come over and be a companion for her and said she'd adopt her and be as a mother to her well then ruth she went over with some gentle folks that was going back to england and offered to see her safe and sound and so she was set up at lady maxwell's manor it was a grand place she said and such as she never see before, like them old gentry places in England. And Lady Maxwell, she made much of her, and cosseted her up for the sake of what the old general had said about her. And Ruth, she told her all her story, and how she believed that the will was to be found somewhere, and that she should be led to see it yet. She told her, too, that she felt it entered that Captain Oliver wasn't dead, and that he'd come back yet and Lady Maxwell she took up for her with might and main, and said she'd stand by her. But then, you see, so long as there weren't no will to be found, there weren't nothing to be done. Jeff was the next heir, and he'd got everything, stock and lot, and the estate in England into the bargain. And folks was beginning to think pretty well of him, as folks allers does when a body is up in the world and has houses and lands lordy massy riches allers covers a multitude of sins finally when ruth had been six months with her one day lady maxwell got to telling her all about her history and what had been atween her and her cousin when they was young and how they'd had a quarrel and he flung off to america and all them things that it don't do folks no good to remember when it's all over and can't be helped but she was a lone body and it seemed to do her good to talk about it finally she says to ruth says she i'll show you a room in this house you hain't seen before it was the room where we had that quarrel she says and the last i saw him was there till he come back to die she says so she took a great key out of her bunch and she led ruth along a long passageway to the other end of the house and opened on a great library and the minute Ruth came in, she threw up her hands and gave a great cry. Oh, says she, this is the room, and that is the window, and there is the cabinet, and there in that middle drawer at the back end of the bundle of papers is the will. And Lady Maxwell, she said, quite dazed, Go look, says she. And Aunt Ruth went, just as she seed herself do, and opened the drawer, and drew forth from the back part a yellow pile of old letters. And in the middle of those was the will, sure enough. Ruth drew it out, and opened it, and showed it to her. Well, you see, that will give Ruth the whole of the general's property in America, though it did leave the English estate to Jeff. 
well the end on it was like a story-book jeff he made believe he mighty glad and he said it must have been that the general had got flustered with the spirit and water and put that there will in among his letters that he was a-doin up to take back to england for it was in among lady maxwell's letters that she writ him when they was young and that he'd a kept all these years and was a-takin back to her well lawyer dean said he was sure that jeff himself made himself quite busy and useful that night a-tying up the papers with red tape and a-packing the general's trunk and that when jeff gin him the bundle to lock up in his box he never mistrusted but what he got it all right well you see it was just one of them things that can't be known to the judgment day it might have been an accident and then again it might not and folks settled it one way or t'other according to their opinion of jeff but you see how amazing handy for him it happened why if it hadn't been for the providence i've been telling you about there it might have lain in them old letters that lady maxwell said she never had the heart to look over it would never have turned up in the world well said i what became of ruth oh cap oliver he came back all alive and escaped from the algerines and they was married in king's chapel and lived in the old sullivan house in peace and prosperity that's just how the story was and now aunt lois can make what she's a mind to on it and what became of jeff oh he started to go over to england and the ship was wrecked off the irish coast and that was the last of him he never got to his property good enough for him said both of us well i don't know twas pretty hard on jeff maybe he did and maybe he didn't i'm glad i warn't in his shoes though i'd rather never had nothing this here hasn't to be rich is such a dreadful temptation well now boys you've done a nice lot of flax and i guess we'll go up to your grand'ther's cellar and get a mug of cider talking always gets me dry End of the Sullivan Looking Glass